Welcome to an all-new episode of the Fast Friends Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Cummins, at Logan Cummins on Twitter. And on today's episode, I'll try to make friends with TV writer and producer and the Gordon Ramsay of fast food, Bill Oakley, faster than you can speed past that first window at Burger King because you know no one is there. I'm Logan Cummins. I'm a former pro wrestling creative, a mediocre stand-up comedian, and a ranch-dressing aficionado who lives beyond my means. This is my weekly podcast where I set out to make friends with each and every one of my guests. Sometimes it works. Other times, not so much. Bill, welcome to the Fast Friends Podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. I'm honored to have you here. It's so cool to talk to you live. Um, How is your week going? It's going pretty well. I mean, you know, I live in Portland, Oregon, and we have suddenly crossed that threshold uh, where the weather is bad every day, and we will be bad every day from (laughs) now till July 4th, 2022. So um, for me, who is a guy who really likes the beach and being outside in the sun, it's a little bit of an effort to make it through this time of year. But other than that, it's going great. Yeah. That aside, I hear you. I'm in Chicago. So it's, um, it's, you know, it's not much better, honestly, from now until I would say May, May is when it starts to get great here. And then it like tricks people into staying. So. Uh, yeah. I've heard about that. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, I want to give a quick premise overview of how the podcast works. It's structured in three rounds. The first round is called the fast forward round where we'll just go through some background stuff, um, questions, talk through topics. The second round is called five for five. Um, so we'll ping pong back and forth. I have five questions for you. Um, and you have the opportunity to ask me five questions and then we'll end with the fast friends fortune teller round which will reveal an activity that we'll play, one of these paper fortune tellers from school days, uh, and then we'll end with a friend request. Fantastic. Awesome. Any questions before we jump in? No, I think I, well, I'll go with the flow. I think I have it. I have the rough idea (laughs) outline of it. All right. All right. It's no pressure. There will not be a test at the end. Uh, Just a test of my ability to make friends. (laughs) Um, Awesome. I'll jump right into the first round, the fast forward round. So based on my research, I see that you were uh, born, I believe, born in and raised in Union Bridge, Maryland, and you grew up on a farm. Is that correct? Yeah. So I lived there till I was 10. Then I moved to, then we moved to D.C. Okay. Okay. Right on. Did you, when you were on a farm, I grew up in a farm area. I did not have a farm myself, but a lot of kids that I like went to school with had chores. Did you have farm chores that you had to do each day? I did have to feed the horses for a while. Like we, the farm was not, it was not a working farm so much as, okay. a, as a piece of land that was formerly a working farm. And, um, like there were cows, but the cows were not ours. Like I, I think my dad let, you know, some other person graze their cattle there and stuff. And then we had horses and I did have chores where I had to feed the horses, uh, for a while, but that was pretty much it. It, it was, okay. it wasn't like a real, it wasn't a real operating <laughs> farm. <laughs> got it. Got it. Yeah. I had friends that would have to like get up and milk cows and stuff before they came to school. And I'm like, mm, that doesn't sound like a fun way to wake up. I think that gives you a good moral <laughs> fiber though. You know, like that kind of having to wake up as a, to do that as a kid, you know, then yeah. the rest of life seems a little bit easier. I think when you're used to that kind of hard work, <laughs> as opposed to today's kids like mine who just lounge around looking at the internet <laughs> all day. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, those kids were like super reliable and dependable, right? On everything. Yeah. They were, uh, they were very, very like in line all the time. Um, awesome. You mentioned that you moved to DC around age 10, I think, mm-hmm. um, went to, I think a private school there. Um, you were probably a pretty good student based on, <laughs> on everything that I've, that I've read. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think I was a pretty good student. Like I, I, I wasn't like the best student, but I was definitely, a, a, a you know, 
I got B and A minus or something like that in most of the classes. It's like, there's some classes that really interested me, like, I, and I was really interested in like history and stuff, and that uh, is why I majored in that in college. And um, it it wasn't that hard. Like there were some classes where I just totally tanked, and there were other classes mm-hmm. that I liked that I really enjoyed. And uh, you know, I think I did a pretty good. Also, then when I got into my high school years, I packed up my schedule with a lot of to- phony baloney stuff, um, like <laughs> graphics that was able to give me good grades with with very little work. That's that's very smart. Um, I did not have the foresight to do that. I remember like stacking my schedule because it was like you need to try to do this to get into college, etc. Uh, and then it just made it hard. So I should have, yeah. In hindsight, if I had. One thing I would, one of the things I would do over in high school is definitely uh, lighten my course load a little bit and make it easier on me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, obviously, if you're applying to college, that they take that into account. Uh, so you, you know, you can't just have totally these days. You can't get get away with having so many phony baloney classes on your schedule as you used to be able to. Absolutely. And college now is like it's a. Uh, you said you have kids, so you, you probably at least are. It's um, it's insane. Like we have friends who have kids that are seniors I, in high school, and I can't even. It's beyond insane. It's much harder to get into any old regular college now than it was to get into Harvard when I went in in the eighties. You know, like the, the 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 acceptance rate for you know, let's just say, let's just call it uh, Podunk State is like 10%, which is like what it was at yep. Harvard in 19, 1984 when I went. And and not only that, but Podunk State is going to charge you 80,000 bucks a year. It's a, I don't know, this whole thing is a big scam that is going to eventually collapse, I think. I can't imagine that like people are going to be able to sustain a, you know $300,000 worth of student debt for a degree in whatever, French literature, and then live the rest of their life paying it off. And this is a topic for another show, I guess. But yes, I, yeah. it is a... It's a weird thing. The whole college system these days baffles me. I don't know how it can sustain it. I don't know what good people are getting for their 300 grand. I, I agree. I mean, I've been out of school now for a while, but um, I think I racked up somewhere around the neighborhood of like 75 grand, and that was hard enough to pay back, right? And I was very fortunate to get like a decent paying job. Like I was one of the more fortunate ones. Yeah. Um, but still, it took like 22 years something to get, to get all the way done. So And God forbid yeah, you have to go to law school or something too, you know? Oh, yeah. Ugh. Forget that. Uh, how old were you when you started reading Mad Magazine? I was like four. <laughs> I learned okay. to read from reading Mad Magazine. I mean, that's kind of my whole thing is like that's where my sense of humor came from. Like it's extremely hard to convey to people who, who are younger than me how little entertainment there was, for especially for kids back in the 70s. You know, it, it, like there was no cable TV. So imagine you had three TV channels, if you were lucky, and, and they would play cartoons in the morning, and then they would maybe then it would be all soap operas and crap until maybe four or five when kids came home from school. So, like, for instance, and you didn't have any other, I think there's no internet, you know, if you had a record player, you were lucky, and you could play, play some records, so there wasn't any entertainment. And, like, one of the things that drove me to, like, go searching, first of all, to go outdoors, second of all, to go searching for entertainment was the fact that I was bored out of my mind. And so mm-hmm. I found in the attic, my brother, who had gone to college, left all these issues of Mad from the 60s. Um, and I was like, hey, these are pretty funny. And, like, I didn't know how to read. So I kind of taught myself how to read by reading these issues of Mad. And, like, I read, I must have read hundreds of them. And I read them over and over and over again. And that was kind of like, the that's my origin story. You know, yeah. and then I was like, I want to, I want to copy these. I learned to copy the drawings. I learned to make comic strips, and I became, I became a fairly acceptable cartoonist by first grade. Um, and that kind of was like the way that I did stuff for the rest of my, uh, you know, teens, t- uh, kid, kidhood, and teens. Yeah, 
it's it's interesting because I think like Mad, um, I'm not. I, I obviously am not a big as big a fan of it as you. I remember obviously reading it and such when I was younger, but um, the the humor is all it's 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 like satire and it's a little sophisticated, right? So like yeah. as a kid, did you? Or do you think it works sort of like a Disney movie where it plays to like both audiences? Yeah, I mean, it works to like Simpsons, which is it plays to both audiences yes. as well. Yes. And that's kind of the <laughs> Simpsons was everybody on The Simpsons. And also most people in America who grew up in that era read Mad and were pretty familiar with it. Uh, and so yeah. like, yes, it absolutely did. Uh, there were tons of subtleties I didn't get. Um, but like, and it was so entertaining, like Mad, and it only came out once every month and a half. So, you know, you'd read it, you'd be done in two hours and then you'd be on your butt. Like you, you could, if you were, you know, maybe you'd go out, you'd be desperate enough to go out and buy an issue of Cracked if you could find it. Uh, and then you had to just kind of make your own fun uh, for the next six weeks until the next issue of Mad came out. Yeah. And that's what I think at, um, from the research that I found, I think uh, you met your friend Josh Weinstein in eighth grade and you two founded a, um, a magazine, a humor magazine at school, right? In eighth grade. Is that That's right. Accurate? It was ninth grade. Well, we didn't start the magazine. We ninth. became friends in ninth grade when Josh okay. came to the school and we were like-minded people uh, with similar senses of humor. And we both worked on the newspaper, school newspaper. Uh, and uh, what happened was at the end of junior year, the seniors, outgoing seniors decide who's going to get what job on the newspaper next year. And okay. I was like, I want to get the back page edited. The back page was the funny page of the newspaper. And I didn't get it. And I was so mad that I was like, screw this. I'm going to start my own magazine. <laughs> and uh, so I, I had this book about how to start a magazine that was actually written by one of the editors of National Lampoon. And I was like, we can okay. do this. We can make a magazine here. And so I started the magazine. Josh was my co-founder. And we started this humor magazine that was kind of inspired by college humor magazines that we had been kind of looking at uh, back, you know, during the golden era of college humor magazines. And it was really good. And the magazine was, I would say, the magazine was easily as good or better than most college humor magazines. It was like 40 pages and slick. And there's tons of really good cartoons and stuff in it, not just by me, but by other more talented artists. And um, that was... Uh, it was really fun to do, and it was my claim to fame, and I think that's probably what got me at the attention of the people at admissions at Harvard, because my grades were good, but they weren't spectacular, but I think they're always looking for people who have some sort of, developed some sort of skill or done something on their own, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's, that was what I was going to touch on next, was obviously going on to Harvard and working there at the Harvard Lampoon, yeah. which um, is a very renowned uh, humor magazine. Um, what, how, I think you even served as the VP of that, right, when you were when you were there? Yes. I mean, that was my, the reason I, that was one of the reasons I didn't go to Harvard. I wanted to go to Stanford with Josh. Josh got into Stanford. <laughs> I did not get into Stanford because uh, I, I don't know, my essay, I retrospect my essay was terrible, but I didn't get in and I had gotten into Harvard and I know that like having Harvard as your safety school is like a funny joke, but I did not want to go to Harvard at all. But <laughs> I did uh, because it's really square. And uh, when I visited, I had a bad time. And But I, the one thing at Harvard that I did was interested in was the Harvard Lampoon because I knew that was where her National Lampoon had come from and I was a big fan. Um, what I didn't realize, though, is that like everything in Harvard, it's far more complicated and hard than you expect it to be. You can't just go and work on the Lampoon. You, you ha, you, you, there's a competition to get on the staff, um, mm -hmm. and they only let a couple people on every year. And so me uh, – and so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do this competition. And fortunately, I had already developed these skills as a cartoonist over the past – what since I was four, and my cartooning was pretty good. And they were looking for cartoonists at that time, so I was able to get on. And me and, and David Cohen, David X. Cohen, who went on to create Futurama with Matt Greening and worked with him for many years, uh, also got on. We were the only two freshmen who got on that year. And 
so anyway, it was fun. And, and definitely that was, that was what made me want to stay at Harvard rather than transfer to some more fun school. And I spent the entirety of my college career in the Lampoon Building working on issues and parodies and things like that that we did, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was that was like the predominant focus for you it was like it was obviously you were there at Harvard. You, you got to get out and get a degree. But like the Lampoon was like front and center for you. Oh, yeah. I, and I didn't like I again, like they always say the hard, the hardest thing about Harvard is getting in. And that is 100 percent true because I was able to <laughs> once again take a lot. Of, I took first of all, I took a lot of American history classes, which usually contain stuff I already knew. Um, mm-hmm. And I took uh, the other required classes, some of which were quite fun. You know, like my, the modern art class, I still remember as the most useful, the most interesting in class I still remember. Um, but a lot of it was just kind of phoning it in so I could spend more time at the Lampoon. And I spent every waking hour there from the time I got on as a freshman until the day I graduated, actually until several months after I graduated. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, it's got to be awesome to like find something like that that you love that much. Totally. Um, it was really, it's, it's a really fun organization, or at least it was. Um, and we had yeah. a lot of interesting people on in those days. Do you stay in touch with people at Harvard now? Like, are you involved or re- review anything like that that's going on there? I don't, I was never involved at, with Harvard as an organization. I was involved with sure. a trustee. The, I was a trustee of the Lampoon for like 20 years. And um, I was involved in other vas- other Lampoon activities. Um, and, and there, but there's also, there's a, some, let's just say there's some personality clashes <laughs> with some people <laughs> on the Lampoon. At, at the, so I've, t- I've taken a little bit of a breather from that. But I still hang out. I mean, most, many of my friends are people who I went to college with, who are mostly comedy writers, um, who, mm-hmm. and we still hang out all the time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so I'll fast forward a bit to gradu- after graduation, um, wrote a couple spec scripts for things like uh, SNL and then like Late Night with David yeah. Letterman. Um, from that, um, it's from what I can tell, those didn't uh, pan out initially, um, and you started working and doing promotion for America's Most Wanted. Um, yes, that was for people good, that are listening. Yeah, can you give yeah, them like a, well, a high level review of what the show is? Okay, so Josh and I, like you know, writing sample materials, how you get hired at jobs. We wrote some good sample material, but we did not get any jobs. So we finally moved. We moved back home to Washington D.C. Um, and Josh worked for some advertising agency, and I was like, I want to work in TV. And the only mm-hmm. network TV, other than news shows, the only network TV show that was being made in Washington D.C. at that time was America's Most Wanted, which had just begun. It was still like in its second season or whatever, and it was live. And I. I thought that was super cool because that was a cool show. I was watching that show for entertainment. You know, it wasn't like – it wasn't – it was a good show and it was really popular back then. So I, I mm-hmm. kind of I, – I wrote them a letter saying I would like to work for you um, and like I kind of wanted to be a reporter but I didn't have any reporter skills. And they had – and the guy who did the promotions was just leaving. So they're like, hey, well, you'd like this job. And the job was basically kind of like writing the listings uh, for the TV guide and doing other stuff that was kind of like promotion and publicity oriented. And it was great. It was a really fun job. Um, and it was being there when we were broadcasting the show live was incredibly exciting because mm-hmm. the cops were there. People were calling in the phones. It was all live. And like we often – sometimes we catch the guy, the criminal, when the show was still airing. You know, and like uh, we, when I was there, we must have caught a hundred different criminals, and it was ex- putting the show together was fun, and the and the energy of of being on a live TV show like that was really fun. That was back. I mean, people don't remember that, but it was like what it was in 1990 when the Fox Network was just starting, and this show was a big deal, and you know, millions of people were watching every every week. Yeah, I remember. I remember we used to watch too because it was always like you never know. Um, if, if like you're going to see something and like be able to call in with a yeah. tip, right? Like, I mean, it, you know, it never worked out for us, but yeah, that's, it was pretty awesome that they would give updates to later. Um, 
Okay, so you did that. How long were you at America's Most Wanted? Or how long were you working on that before you moved back to New York? About a year, year and a half. And then Josh and I, you know, continued during that time to try to get comedy writing jobs. And we finally got one. We finally uh, had written some material for a for a comedy game show that was going to be on what what a cable channel, which finally eventually became Comedy Central, and that was our mm-hmm. like that was our big break. Um, and we moved to New York, uh, and we started working for that show. And then we immediately got a job working for another similar show, and then that show ended, and we were unemployed. Um, but then, <laughs> this is going to be this is a long series of ups and downs. We got hired to work on a show in L.A. By a guy, we had okay. written an article for Spy Magazine, a couple articles for Spy Magazine back when Spy was still a thing. And uh, our editor hired us to work on a show, a comedy show that sounded like it was going to be amazing. And we moved to L.A. And we were like, this is it. We're in the door. Um, and the show got canceled after three weeks. And then we were unemployed for about a year and a half. And it was we were just about to give up, like, because we had written these spec scripts and uh, these sample material scripts, which in retrospect were not very good. Um, and it took a couple <laughs> people to, you know, tell us. It took one guy who we later ended up working with to tell us, you know, it's clear. We were spec script. For, <laughs> our script was for Coach. Do you remember that show, Coach? Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. We didn't like Coach very much, but we were like, well, this is just as good as a Coach. This is script. This is a perfectly fine script. It's just as good as an average episode of Coach, so hire us. <laughs> and, well, and the guy who read it was like, you know, it's clear that you guys don't like coach <laughs> and this <laughs> script is not very good and you got to write for a show you, you got to write a spec script for a show you like and this was also what we were right on the verge of leaving because we were like our money's running out we've been in LA for a year we don't have any work and and I was like applying uh I decided I was going to apply for a job at the state department and I sent away for the state for the foreign service exam and it was so hard. I had no idea it was going to be so hard. You have to know so much about world events and politics and the subtleties of what's going on in Azerbaijan and Croatia. And I was like, oh, my God. OK, let's write another spec script. <laughs> let's, let's. And so that was what happened. That was literally what happened. Josh and I were like, OK, well, let's write a spec script. You know, let's just try everything to lose at this point. Let's write a spec script for a show that we really like. And the show was a show called The Seinfeld Chronicles, which had only been on for four or five episodes at that time. But it was so weird and so unlike any other show. It later became Seinfeld. Um, yep. That we were like, okay, let's just do it. You know, most people don't know the show, but we wrote a spectrum for Seinfeld, the Seinfeld Chronicles, that because we loved it, and we were like, this is just like Seinfeld Chronicles, and we loved it, and we loved the jokes, and we were so proud of it, and it really worked. Like immediately, we got an a, a, like it. I, it really worked. People love the script. We got a really good agent. We got meetings. We were got meetings at all the big shows, like Cheers and Murphy Brown, and all those shows immediately. And we also got. Wow. Um, uh, uh, we got a meeting at the Simpsons. We got an offer that we'd actually previously met because from the Lampoon, Mike Reese and Al Jean were running the Simpsons at that time. Uh, they read it, even though one of them had never even heard of Seinfeld at that time. And they're like, this is funny. Let's give these guys this, an episode assignment. So they gave us a freelance episode assignment, which was an episode that Conan had made up called Marge Gets a Job, where Marge mm-hmm. got a job working at the power plant and Mr. Burns fell in love with her. And we wrote the script for that. <laughs> um, and it was successful. I think it was successful, but you know, like writing Simpsons is really hard because people who don't work on the show, like, don't understand, like, the subtleties of it. And so the freelance scripts are always heavily rewritten. Anyway, it was pretty popular. And, and but at that, we'd already gotten an offer to work on this show that was from the creator of Murphy Brown, a new show of theirs. And we were, they were buying our computers and setting up our office. And we said to our agent, could you just call the Simpsons and see if there's any chance they would ever hire us? <laughs> and, <laughs> and it worked and they did. It, they did because, wow. they, they, because they liked our script and, and another team, uh, Jay Kogan and Molly Walodarski was just leaving, had just decided to suddenly leave. So they had an office and a spot for a team and they, and we got hired. It was another example of like, wow, I'm really glad we made that 
phone call because otherwise we, I mean, we were working on a great show, but that show was also canceled after a year. And like it, we, none of our Simpsons stuff would have ever happened if we hadn't just said, would you just call the Simpsons and ask if they would possibly give us a job? And it, and it worked, you know, like it's, yeah. it's a testament to those weird moments in your life. Anyway. So that's the story. Yeah. Are you allowed to say what the uh, show was from the Murphy Brown? Yeah, creator? it was called Love and War, um, and I think it was pretty okay. well. It was it was pretty well uh, liked, but I, I mean, it was only on for a year or so. But like you know, Diane English, very talented person, and 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 TV creator, and it, on it, working with her was a big honor. Being hired by her was a big honor, but sure. we wanted to work on The Simpsons more. Yeah, I get. It. I mean, The Simpsons are great, so I do want to talk about The Simpsons a little bit. So you joined the show in season three, I believe. Yeah. Um, and we're the, actually like worked your way up to showrunners by season seven and eight. Um, I think obviously there's <laughs> the show is still on today, as people know. Yeah. Um, I think it's in its 33rd season right now. Um, how <laughs> you said that like people don't understand unless they've been there writing for it. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask about with The Simpsons is like, do you think that the way that the floating timeline is structured makes it easier or harder or sometimes both to write for? You know, I can't say for sure because we didn't have that at the time. You know, when we were there, we were all – the timeline was not floating. The timeline was – was fair from the first couple of seasons, the timeline – you mean the floating timeline, like the fact that, that, that the show has gone 30 years but the characters haven't aged? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, there's, okay. yeah, there's no like actual progression in the character. That was all age. before my time because – I mean we I – mean, I'm sorry. My time was before that happened because we weren't worried about that in, in seasons three through eight. Like at that time, we were just like we were writing Homer that he had grown up in the early '70s, and that he, he and we were writing him like our dads, you know. And our dads had grown up in the '40s and the '50s, mm -hmm. and so that was we did not have to cons be concerned with that because it was only later when the show had been on for 15 years they had to kind of retcon it so that like Homer was in high school in the '90s or whatever. But as far <laughs> the entire time we were there. It was sort of a canon that had been established in season two or three that Homer had gone to high school in the 70s, that he had behaviors and references like our own parents, who, again, who had grown up in the you know 40s and 50s. Okay, right on. Um, one of the things that people say, too, and um, I, don't, I don't know exactly how far this dates back, but um, the show has obviously correctly predicted the future on numerous occasions throughout the years. Everything from, like, Donald Trump's presidency yeah. to, like, the Siegfried and Roy Tiger attack. Um, <laughs> any insight on, like, on how that happens as pure coincidence? Is it, like, did someone sign a deal with the devil <laughs> that gave them, like, inside track? There's a whole book about this topic that just came out that I was interviewed extensively for. I'm gonna, oh, cool. Okay. So, like, I, I don't want to step on this book, but you guys should, everyone who likes The Simpsons and is and, and interested in that topic should get this book. It's called The, Simps, it's called the Simpsons Secret uh, by Lydia Pulteney and James Hicks, okay? And it goes over, like, every single thing that The Simpsons has ostensibly predicted. And, and, as I, and I told them, I won't spend too much time on this, but I told them there's basically three categories of stuff that The Simpsons predicted. One of which is stuff that we didn't predict that people just made up, that they just memed. A lot of that stuff is just <laughs> stuff where people have photoshopped stuff, you know, like the Capitol insurrection, the camp groundskeeper Willie. You may have seen that. Like that stuff mm -hmm. that, that, that is just concocted by fans that was not even in the show. And that's all bullshit. The second one, the second category, which is slightly more on target, is just things that – um because history repeats itself, stuff that is so old. You know, that like when we did that episode about the um, – about the – 
pandemic. It was based on the Hong Kong flu of 1969. Uh, and so now mm-hmm. people who didn't grow up knowing about the Hong Kong flu think we predicted COVID. And in fact, we were just, you know, history is just repeating itself. But pe- the episodes are so old that people who grew up with them think that that was the first time they ever heard of a pandemic or whatever. So that's stuff that, and that's, and that's category two. Category one is stuff that we really did predict. And that's stuff that like, and like, that's the Trump thing uh, and stuff like that. And that, honestly, the fact of the matter is, <sighs> To summarize the, the point about this, all we had to do was extrapolate that people would get stupider, and they did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, like the populace of Springfield was composed of people who were stupid and wouldn't listen to reason and just behave like a dumb mob. And sad, I'm sorry to say that society has trended that way for the past mm-hmm. 30 years. So with a behavior that we were predicting, like a lot of that be- insane behavior that appeared in seasons four and five – that's really happening these days. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, mm-hmm. we, yeah, well, <laughs> we extrapolated, like, what would a dumb character do? What would a dumb populace do? And now they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We should have taken it uh, to heart then and just <laughs> checked out while we could. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard. I, those guys who are writing today, it's hard for me to imagine how they can, how they could do anything, or at least anything political that wouldn't already be, that wouldn't be less stupid than what's really happening. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, one of the other fun, th- one of my favorite things about The Simpsons is like I love all of the guest appearances where it's whether it's somebody playing themselves or someone else. Who, um, from the time that you spent on the show, do you think uh, who was your one of your favorite guest stars? It was John Waters, no question. Um, okay, you know John Waters was exactly like you would hope and want him to be. He came, he spent the entire day with us. Most of the times we had celebrities, they would show up, the limo would bring them up, they would record their lines, they'd sign some autographs, and then leave. Right. John mm-hmm. Waters was there for the entire day, I guess, because he had to fly in from Baltimore and nothing else to do. So he hung out for, <laughs> with us for like 10 hours and he was so funny. And he was like, you know, he's the life of the party. He told all sorts of funny anecdotes and it was just a pure delight to have him there. And um, I continue to reminisce about that even to this day. Like a lot of the celebrities were really nice. You know, like Paul Anka was really nice. Roddy Dangerfield was really nice. Um, Johnny Cash was really nice. But like nobody was like one of the gang so much as John Waters. That's awesome. That's very cool. Um, I just do just want to like touch on some of the things that you've done, obviously, since uh, leaving The Simpsons. Um, went on to write for Mission Hill, which, um, while the WB gave it a swift cancellation, um, had like sort of a revival on Adult Swim and, and, a, and is somewhat of a cult favorite, I would say. Yes. Uh, tell me if you disagree. No, it's definitely a cult <laughs> favorite. I mean, people love it. People, yeah. a, a small number, a small but, uh, but dedicated mass. Uh, from all yeah. over the world, especially South America, where it also aired a lot, and Canada, do love it. And we hear from people every day. And, and you know, we're working, Josh and I are literally are working uh, on a spinoff. And it's, it's a sort of a continuation, sort of a spinoff. Sort of this, it's sort of the same show, but it has more Gus and Wally. And the name of the show is Gus and Wally. We're literally pitching it to networks uh, in three weeks. Oh, that's awesome. So hopefully that's someone awesome. will buy it and we'll see, we'll get to continue these stories that we ended, this, this ended so abruptly. Yeah, that's cool. I had no idea. Um, also worked uh, on Futurama, mm-hmm. you know, did some pro- producing there, written a handful of pilots, um, obviously some feature films. What um, outside of what you just mentioned, is there anything else that you that you have focused on from a creative standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of different stuff that I do some of my own stuff. I mean, I, I get my own, I do my own pilots and my own projects and I do a lot of uh, working on other people's shows, too. I was the head writer and executive producer uh, of the show Close Enough, which is on HBO Max. It worked with J.G. Uh, Quintel who is a genius who created the show Regular Show on Cartoon Network. And Close Enough is another show of his that's on HBO Max. And just for the past uh, year, I have been, the, although he's still in charge of everything, I have been the head writer 
and the uh, you know executive producer of the season of next season, which is going to be on HBO Max, I guess, in a few months. Um, and I do other stuff like that. A lot of it, um, you know, like these days, it's not quite as easy to get stuff that is reckoned like. Now there's 10,000 shows on, t- on TV and most people have never heard of any of them. You know, if people have heard of your show, it's a giant compliment. They literally, if they heard of it. So like, uh, it's like a weird thing. Working in TV is very different than it was in the 90s where everybody, you know, at least everybody had heard of every show that was on TV <laughs> in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't happen. Seven shows a week are launched on Netflix, most of which nobody ever hears of. And that's just one of 20 similar networks. So honestly, I do a lot of that stuff, but I also do work on my own stuff, my own my own personal brand, as they say, which is like, which sure. is this food stuff. And I've transformed, yeah. <laughs> I have for, through sheer force of will, I'm trying to transform myself into kind of a Guy Fieri type figure <laughs> um, mm-hmm. of, of not only fast food, but also snack food and other stuff. And I've, I have to say that it, although it doesn't pay any money, it's kind of working. And I'm getting asked to be yeah. on TV shows and getting asked my opinion about stuff and getting interviewed, getting into articles for, uh, for publications. And so, um, that is my hobby, but it's also, you know, maybe someday it will become my career when Guy Fieri retires, uh, uh, you know, or a Bourdain-like <laughs> figure who travels around, you know, from city to city uh, sampling the chili dogs and stuff. No, that's great. And that's actually um, – that <laughs> I, I do, I'm totally with you. I, fast food is a passion of mine, quite honestly. Um, so I love to watch, like, the the different food reviews. So I want, that is just something that you started doing out as, as a hobby. Yeah. Um, How do you stay on top of, because this is one of the problems I have, there's so similar, not as many probably as the TV shows, but there's so many fast food items um, coming out all the time, I feel like. How do you stay on top of the releases and make sure that you're fast to record and release? Well, I don't do all of them, first of all. Let me say there's a couple things about this that, uh, since I live in Portland, we actually don't have that much different fast food here. Like Port- Oregon actually is very, is like a fast food desert in terms of like mm-hmm. people, anytime you see those polls about like what food people like in this state, what people don't like in this state, people in Oregon hate fast food. Um, and, and they like natural, like locally grown food, which is fine. I love all that stuff too. But so we don't have most of these chains. We don't have, you know, we don't have Whataburger. We don't have uh, Zaxby's. We don't have uh, Portillo's, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm limited to the major chains for one. So I don't, and so, and the major chains honestly don't come out with that many new things. Like it's only like about once every three weeks that something comes out uh, in Taco Bell, Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King or whatever. So I don't have a problem keeping up with it. I also, some things I just decide are not worth trying. You know, people tell me, I get a lot of crowdsourcing of stuff, both on Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter, where people are like, you got to go try this. It's amazing. Or like, don't worry, don't worry about this. It's not worth your time. So that's part of the thing that I do. And then also, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that like the, the, the videos I do about fast food are only the tip of the iceberg. Like my, Correct. the videos, the things that I do that are on my Instagram story every day are almost like the meat and potatoes of this account. And that's almost like stuff. It's like snack food. It's food, frozen food, stuff that people send me from all over the world, um, as well as local stuff in Portland, which I, and I do try to do a, like at least twice a week you know, some local stuff here because we have the best and it's not fast food. We have the best, like the best food of all types you ever had here in Portland in mm-hmm. food carts, restaurants. And it's like, you could have one of the best meals of your life every day. You know, if you know where to look. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Cause I've seen like the, um, Brock's candy corn, like the Thanksgiving ones. Like I watched that oh, yeah, video that yeah. you released recently. Um, I have strong feelings about candy corn, but I won't even go down that rabbit hole. Um, 
<laughs> so I'm actually going to be doing my very first Instagram live taste test on Sunday where I'm going to be trying the Little Debbie Christmas tree cake ice oh, cream. Oh, I wanted to try that. I couldn't find it. It looks like it's going <laughs> oh. to be good. It's, um, it is in Walmart, I think, exclusively. Do you, I don't know if you have a, we do. a Walmart. We do. Our Walmart doesn't get a lot of the things that I see at other Walmarts, though. But um, I will check that out because I, I did want to try it. I, I like that stuff, and it sounds good to me. Yeah, the, the Christmas tree cakes are, to me, like the pinnacle of snack cakes quite honestly like they are and i don't know if it's like the exclusivity of like the the time window um or if it's just that they're that good but they are i literally like stop i try to like stockpile them when they come out i gotta try that i'm gonna go out to walmart and see if i can find that stuff like it it it, as i said our walmart does not appear to have a lot of the stuff that they have on other walmarts uh, nationwide but um once in a while they do so i gotta try that i gotta see your review yeah Mine was in the uh, in cap like in cap freezer section, okay. so it wasn't in the actual ice cream section. It was like right on the end. Um, but yeah, do you have any pointers for me to make the content engaging and stand out? Because I, like, I'm of the age where like I don't really um, get why people watch other people do things. Like eating to me is very enjoyable, right? I guess I watch your stuff, but like uh, in general, I don't know why somebody would want to watch me eat ice cream. I guess. Um, so any tips that you have? Uh, I, I would gladly take. <laughs> well, first of all, Instagram Live is a mess. So before, maybe run a do a dry run before you try it because, number one, um, it, it just like it, it has a lot. It sometimes it stutters and it cuts out this. It has a lot of technical issues I have discovered, oh, especially if okay. you're using it on Wi-Fi. Secondly, the comments go back so go by so fast that you can't see them, you know, which is a problem. Um, and so and I've actually been using for Instagram Live, I've been using this website called Lula.tv, which allows you to stream on Instagram Live from your desktop. And so I have it oh, on cool. a big monitor here and I can see the, I can see all the comments going by and I can respond to them as well as being able to see myself and control other things. So I would say that's one thing. Secondly, yeah, I mean, you can't just you got to have more to say about it than mm, this is good. This is good. like people. Most people right. when they camp, when they say that they've they when they're eating food, they're just kind of like they don't know what to say about it. You kind of have to have at least a couple of prepared things in your head about like the texture and the taste or whatever, uh, either good or bad um, that you can go down. And then also you, people like it when the, when you interact with their and answer their questions and stuff. So that's one of the things about Instagram Live that is good, except that in general the questions scroll by so fast that I can't read them. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll have my wife on standby helping uh, read oh, some good. of the okay, questions good. as well. She's a, she's a great production assistant. Excellent. <laughs> um, awesome. I would, uh, yeah, we'll see how this goes. I mean, because the other thing that I would love to do, um, just because I like eating and also making content, is, uh, you know, if you ever have any of those Midwest exclusives like Portillo's that you can't get to, I'd be happy to, you know, cover them. I'll take I'll take one for the team and go eat at Portillo's on, uh, and let you know what oh, I think. Oh, Fantastic. Um, can you tell us about the Steamies Awards? Yes. This at the end, the first year I was doing this thing, which uh, was 2018. At the end of the year, I felt like I should have sort of a recap of the best things that I ate and the best and worst things that I ate. Right. So I decided, hey, let's make it an award show, and it's a parody. It's sort of a parody of kind of a 70s or 80s era award show, but the awards are only 60 seconds a piece, like all of my videos. Um, and there's 10 categories uh, of things like you know, outstanding international potato chip, new fast food item of the year, outstanding liquor of the year. Um, and I usually get a celebrity of some caliber to announce the award um, that I have written. So uh, it's become kind of a thing. And, and it's it's definitely been 
getting a lot more attention and it's been, it's really fun to do. And, you know, last year I had people like Robin Lopez, the basketball player and Jesus nice and Jake Tapper from CNN, uh, give out awards. And so uh, this year it's going to be a similar cast of some of our old favorites and some new additions giving out the awards and, you know, it's kind of tongue in cheek because it's all just, it's my opinion. You know, there's no mm-hmm. science to it. It's my opinion of what the best food <laughs> I had. And, but you know, honestly, some of these things really do stand out and they need more attention. It's awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait to see that, uh, to see that one. I've, I did go back and watch some of the uh, older clips, um, but I'm excited to watch this year's kind of unfold as you start to unveil. Thank it. you. I'm excited to, 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 uh, awesome. to get it together and, and see what shakes out. I forgot. I've had so much stuff this year and I can't wait to try it. <laughs> review it it's awesome um those are all my questions for the first round uh so we'll move on to the second round which is called five for five it is famously named after the arby's culinary deal of the 90s nice. um where you would get five classic roast beef sandwiches arby's is probably my i think has it's it is not my favorite because of the availability like uh, accessibility rather uh but it's probably i think they have the best fast food that's their i really like chain, arby's like, too it's definitely gotten standpoint. a bad rap over the years and i really like if there was one closer to me I would eat there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I a hundred percent eat there at least once a week. Oh, wow. I'm jealous. Some, most, most of the time more than that. Um, so I will, uh, in this, in this round, we'll have five questions, um, each. So I'll let you go first because you're the guest, uh, and you can ask me anything. All right. If you could only have one fast food item for the rest of your life, what would it be? Fast food item. Um, I would probably pick. <laughs> I would. This is just going back to. There's like an emotional connection. I would pick Skyline Chili. Uh, oh my god! Freeway. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> that's. I'm. F- I would never. Yeah, have predicted I grew up that. in Cincinnati. Okay, well, you must like so. that crazy chili then, because I like. There's too much cinnamon in that in that Cincinnati chili. Both that and Gold Star for me. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's more yeah. power to you. That would be my pick. Yeah, although I would have to. Uh, <laughs> I would have to stock up also on probably some like um, stomach medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, I love Skyline. It's when we go back home, uh, to Cincinnati, my wife is also from Cincinnati. It's the first, we stopped to get Skyline before we stopped to see any family. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, we're committed. (laughs) Um, my first question for you is also about restaurants. Which restaurant chain offers you, in your opinion, the most incentive to complete their feedback survey? Uh, You know, probably five guys, even though I haven't done it. They always have that thing on the bottom of it. And like Five Guys is expensive, so it's a good deal. Yeah. And I would say that's what the one of, of – that's the one I should be doing. I never complete any of those surveys. But when I see that on Five Guys, I'm like, I should remember to do that because Five Guys is expensive. The rest of it, it's just like it, – unless the unless it's going to be a good value for my time, I just toss it. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be worth the time for sure. That's awesome. That's a great answer. All right, time for your second question. All right. Who is your favorite character from the TV show Green Acres? Oh, I don't know that I know anyone by name on Green Acres. <laughs> I definitely watched it with my mom some when I was younger, but like I don't, and I remember the theme song very vividly. Um, but I don't know that I know any of the people from there. Okay, All right. interesting. Well, it's you know it, the fact that you've even seen the show is pretty good because you're a lot younger than most of the audience. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I could, I won't sing the the song to spare you but um yeah that's it's uh i remember watching it with my mom for sure it was definitely a formative um, show for those of us see the simpsons at one point we took a poll of the 12 writers and of 10 of the writers uh, including matt Groening, it had been their favorite show uh oh, nice. growing up so i should check it out probably yeah if i can find remember yeah. that this show is now whatever 60 
it's almost 60 years old. So it has to, you have to understand the context. It's like, it's probably not so great now, but at the time it was extremely groundbreaking. Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint you I, that I don't know. That's any characters okay. By now. I wanted to see if I could put you on the spot <laughs> and I did. Um, my second question for you is what TV character out of um, all of the shows would you want to be if you had to pick just one? Gosh, well, I mean, I guess I probably, why would I not pick something that was really lavish? Like, you know, I don't know, Blake Carrington on Dynasty or J.R. Ewing gets on <laughs> Dallas or for entertainment, you have to have conflict. And so you don't have a lot of guys who are successful and popular without having some sort of deep, dark secret. I would, you know, I keep thinking like, oh, Tony Soprano, but he, he wasn't that, he had a rough life too. I don't know. I think we're going to have to, um, I, you know, I'm going to have to tell you that the character that I most like, the character that I don't know that I want to his life, but the character who I have the most sympathy for and feel is living life similar to mine is, is from Green Acres, is Oliver Wendell Douglas from Green Acres, who is, has a good life and, um, but has a lot of frustrations with everybody around him being too dumb. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, so when I watch, I'll have, to ch- I'll have to keep an eye out for his Oh, character. yeah. He's the star of the show. That's the whole point okay, of the show is that he moves to this, <laughs> he moves to Hooterville and everybody is constantly frustrating him with their, um, you know, with their ignorance and their silliness, but they all understand each other and he doesn't, but, uh, it, it's a fish out of water show. Anyway, I recommend it, but I would say he's got a good life. He's got a beautiful wife, uh, and his frustrations are all pretty trivial. Okay. Right on, right on. It's time for your third question for me. If you could only take one vacation ever again, what would it be? Ooh. Um, I think I would have to travel far because I don't. I haven't really done a lot of international travel. I'd probably pick Australia if I only yeah. had one more shot. I think I would do. Yeah. I think I would too. I don't know. It's only because I don't know anything about Australia and I don't have to learn another language to go there. That's, yeah. It seems like they got a lot of fun stuff there. Yeah, I've never been. I have friends that have been and they recommend it. Um, and it, I think because it's like really out of, it seems very out of like the scope of something that I could actually do. Um, if I only had one vacation ever again, that's probably what mm-hmm, I would try mm-hmm. to go for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and the English thing is huge. <laughs> that's huge. Yeah. Selfish. I think I, I think <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> awesome. My third question for you is what are um, some nicknames that you've had over the years of your life? Captain Sixpack was one of them. Uh, and that was because I was renowned in high school for bringing six. First of all, let's say in, in, when I went to high school, you could buy beer. at The drinking age was 18 and you could easily buy beer at 15. So it's not quite the same as it is today. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, I would. Be, I was renowned for bringing my own six pack of beer to every party. And thus I got the nickname Captain Sixpack. I've never had a nickname that was better than that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great nickname. Thank you. <laughs> um, awesome. It's time for your fourth question for me. What's your favorite video game of all time? This is so old, but like I, I really just love the old school Super Mario Brothers, the original from Nintendo. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, who doesn't love that? Yeah, That's a it's great so good. one, and it's really fun. It has so holds good. up. Yeah, I once I feel like once we got to like even Sega Genesis, that may have been the last console I felt like I could actually play and control. Like the PlayStation had way too many buttons and stuff, and I just. I like my brother would kick my ass at every game. And so I just got mad and stopped playing because uh-huh. uh, <laughs> he's like four years younger than me. But yeah, um, the old school Super Mario I actually have. I recently rebought a Nintendo Entertainment System um, and a Mario Brothers game. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's definitely still my favorite. Um, I still remember exactly like how to get to the warp zones, like all the things. I'm like, oh, how wow. much space is that taking yeah, up in yeah. my brain? <laughs> <laughs> Such a great game, though. 
Uh, my fourth question for you is if you could script the basic plot for a recurring dream that you would have for the rest of your life, what would it be? It'd probably be a little bit like Ready Player One, to be honest, and and thus, but with increasing levels of success <laughs> that that paid off in various ways, I think would be the out with the general outline of it. Um, like I know Ready Player One did not have a linear plot in that respect, but it was it. it I found it to be an, I found it to be an enjoyable story, and I think it would probably be pretty similar to that, except that there'd be more uh, success and money <laughs> coming in. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so this brings us to your fifth and final question for me. If you could go to the moon for free, would you do it? No. <laughs> same, I think I <laughs> no, feel the I same wouldn't. way. <laughs> um, I don't know that there's anything worth pursuing there. I mean, I don't know. We've already been there. Like, I feel like if if it was if there was something that good, because um, I don't believe in the conspiracy theory that the moon landing was fake. Um, some people do, and that's fine. But like, I believe that we've been there, and if there was something that good, we would have worked to get there more permanently. I feel like there's nothing there. Right. I think it would just be for the magic magic of space travel. I and mean, people are willing to pay a million dollars to fly up into space, which is nuts, in my opinion, because it doesn't seem like all that much fun. But like, I think many people would be like would jump at the chance to go to space or the moon, especially if it didn't cost yeah. a million dollars. But I'm not among them, and it doesn't sound like you are either. Yeah, zero interest. <laughs> uh, my last question for you is if you had to name your three life rules, what would they be? Okay, one I would say I already touched on in this thing, which is always take that extra chance, like that phone call to the Simpsons. Yeah. Would you call the Simpsons and ask if they will hire us? Because that, like, <laughs> it paid off. You know, that's, I've learned that through repeated, th like, a lot of times, 70% of the time, 80% of the time, maybe 95% of the time, that kind of thing doesn't work. But when it does, it's, it pays off. It pays off for all those other times. Yeah. The other thing, make a list, write down what you're going to do. Okay. You got to write it down. I'm telling you, this is the thing that everyone, and it, this is not, I didn't invent this. It's been around for centuries. If I don't write it down, I'm not going to do it. If I write it down, mm -hmm. I do it because I want to have that thing crossed off my list, whether it be a list on the computer or the phone or on a piece of paper, that always works. Um, the third rule, at least for me, would be always, always, always get at least seven hours of sleep every single night, period. Oh, amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I totally, so I can't function without that. And I don't, like my, the rest of my day is somehow damaged if I don't, if that doesn't work. If I don't get my yeah, sleep. It's, it's hard to even like exist and function. Yeah. If uh, I feel like it's gotten worse for me as I've gotten a little older, but I, we're, I, I could probably clock around eight hours good, to maybe good. nine yeah <laughs> um we did get a not I mean, this is not a humble brag we got a sleep number bed that like uh <laughs> that measures your sleep and so it gives you a sleep score so that's just another thing to stress yeah. out about now like yeah. a credit score weight all that stuff yeah awesome well thanks for playing five for five the last round is the fast friends fortune teller um i'll ask you a series of questions that will reveal an activity that we'll play um, so the first one is, if we were going on a road trip in all of these scenarios, you and I were in a car together, and I asked you to start a boy band playlist, and you had to pick from 98 Degrees, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, or One Direction, which of those boy bands would you pick first? I would pick Backstreet Boys. I, I, you know, I, I feel like I, have, I know more of their songs, and I like them, and I don't mind hearing them over and over. Yeah. There you go. They're crowd pleasers, <laughs> that was the answer. Sure. I don't know if that was the answer you wanted, but it's the answer that's <laughs> no? the truth. 
it just uh, it just changes the course of of where the fortune teller okay. goes. Um, so the next question is: uh, if we stop at an exit and we go through a drive-through for lunch, would you stop at Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's, or Arby's? Well, Arby, obviously, as we've already discussed, it would be Arby's. But I mean, those other ones are all good choices too. Well, it depends. I mean, it depends on what I was in the mood for. But honestly, in a generic setting, I would choose Arby's every time. Yeah, absolutely. Unless I had had Arby's for the past twelve meals, you know, it's always that's part of the thing. It's like I want to I want to mix it up. I don't want to go to Arby's twelve times in a row. But if I if I haven't eaten fast food in a while, it's always going to be Arby's. All right. Underneath Arby's is uh, the game Truth or Dare. Uh, <laughs> um, so I have a truth and then I have a dare. Uh-oh. Um, oh, no. And you can pick which one you prefer. Okay. Uh, truth. What is something that no one else knows about you? Hmm. Boy, that's a good, you know, it's going to take me a while to dig something up like that. I think, <laughs> hmm. It can be like the silliest little thing, like, it, you know, or it could be something <laughs> groundbreaking. Hmm. God damn. Hold on. Sorry. Wow. Okay. You can edit the dead parts where I think of a good answer to this. <laughs> oh, okay. I got it. I've never read anything of any kind by William Shakespeare. And I'm not familiar with, Nothing. I'm not familiar even with, I have a general idea of what Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet are about. But other than that, I don't have any, I, I don't know anything about the works of William Shakespeare. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, wait, I'm Man. sorry. You know what? I might have read The Tempest in high school, but I, I've forgotten it all. Sure. Sure. That's crazy. Okay. That's it. That's it. I like that. I like that little nugget of knowledge. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, well, this is the time uh, that we build the podcast to the moment of truth, uh, where I ask you, Bill Oakley, if Logan Cummins had sent you a friend request based on our time that we've spent together today, would you confirm or delete the friend request? Oh, I would confirm it. Absolutely. I mean, if, if only because we are so simpatico regarding Arby's. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I would go to Arby's any day with you. All right. Um, Awesome. Well, if you're listening at home, first of all, thanks to Bill. Thanks for being my friend. Thanks for coming on. Um, and uh, when Bill and I hang out for the first time, if you have an idea for what we would do, feel free to hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. You can text the podcast as well. Um, Bill, can you tell people where to find your Instagram food reviews and where they can follow you on all the socials? Yes. Uh, that Bill Oakley. And that's T-H-A-T, that Bill Oakley, O-A-K-L-E-Y. On Instagram is where I do food stuff, I do videos and stuff on my story every day. And I'm also on Twitter at that same handle where I do all sorts of crazy crap. Um, and, and as well, I post some of my food stuff, but most of it's on Instagram. And you can also find out if you're a Mission Hill fan, I'll be tweeting anything, any news about this uh, Mission Hill spinoff uh, that we get. That is awesome. Bill, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a blast to hang out with you and get to know you. Um, and I will hopefully see you tune in for my Little Debbie Christmas tree cake ice cream taste test on Sunday. Fantastic. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear if it's as good as it sounds like it's going to be. Awesome. Thanks so much, Bill. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Fast Friends Podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for an all-new episode. Go ahead and hit subscribe so you don't miss it. You can follow me on Twitter at Logan Cummins. And if you have a suggestion on someone that I should be friends with, go ahead and let me know at fastfriendspodcast.com.